Today's title is not to be mistaken with an answer on Jeopardy, okay? Uh, the prodigal manager, nobody's ever heard of that. You've heard of the wasteful son, the prodigal son, right? You've heard of prodigal, and we learned last week that prodigal is, of course, means wasteful. And then Jesus launches straight into the wasteful manager. But instead of calling it the prodigal manager, where they could have really helped people understand the context, uh, it, it uh, is just says the wasteful or the, the parable of the dishonest manager. And he is going to be dishonest. So last week we were in the lost chapter of the Bible. And again, I'm going to share that with you. That if you want to pique someone's interest, just say, I found the, the lost chapter of the Bible. And you'll get them all excited. And then you take them to Luke 15 because there's three parables about lost things. The lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And we pointed out each item last week uh, represents really a person today, a kind of person, uh, really relates to the condition of people that we live with and work with and, and hobnob with. Lost sheep represents the ignorant and helpless, the ignorant of Jesus, the helpless. They have no victory in their life. They have no victory over dysfunction. They have no victory over their addictions. They have no victory over their stinking thinking, even if they want it because they're like sheep. And so, I got that, okay. And then the coin. Uh, man, coins are inanimate and lifeless and dead and they're not able to think or reason. And there are people out there like that. They're just spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead to the light of the gospel that is needed to wake them up and so that they can see God and, and turn to him and know that there is a creator God that loves them so much. And of course, the lost son, and that represents those people that are just in flat out rebellion. Do you know a few of those? I see them on TV all the time. But uh, there are some in our personal lives, but what we see on the media is not really representative of life, is it? The forces of evil want you to think this is normal behavior, what we see on 99% of TV, but it's not. But there are people out there in open rebellion against God. They're, they just, they're just like that. And each lost parable also emphasizes a different point. I don't know if you, you caught that from last week. The lost sheep, it really emphasizes the lost. It's a 100 to 1 ratio, remember? One sheep goes off and it, and it, and it talks about the lost and then the coin really emphasizes the search because she gets out the broom, she gets out the lamp, and she's not going to stop until the search is done because remember from last week, it's not if she finds a coin, it's when she's going to find the coin. And that reminded me of today when I was searching for the lost keys to the Cineport. Uh, I knew they were there somewhere and I tore my house upside down. But guess what? We found them. Thank you, Jesus. So we're actually here today in the theater. And then, of course, the lost son, what, what does that emphasize? Well, it emphasizes the restoration. So you got the 100 to 1, you got the 10 to 1, and now you got the 2 to 1. And really, so they all have this concept of lost, but they also have the concept of lost and search and restoration. And even though Jesus spoke three parables, there was only one bottom line principle, if you remember from last week, and that is lost 
people matter to God. Now we're in chapter 16, and Jesus is actually going to continue this theme of lost people matter to God, but there's a little twist to it. In chapter 16, there are two parables. We're only going to look at one today because of the sake of time. We're going to look at the first one. But one is going to be directed at at the disciples, the sons of God, and one is going to be really directed at the sons of Satan. I mean, Jesus called the Pharisees, you you know, you're, you're like your father. He was a liar from the beginning. And so it's okay for us to call some of these Pharisees the son of Satan, just like it's okay for us to be called the sons of God. So if chapter 16 is about lost people then matter to the sons of God. See, chapter 15 was lost people matter to God. And in chapter 16, lost people matter to the sons of God. Lost people matter to us, don't they? They, they do. And so the first parable is going to tell us how to use our money to get to heaven. And the second parable is going to tell us how to use our money to get to hell. Now, I know I'm tongue-in-cheek because you can't buy your way into heaven and you don't necessarily want to buy your way into hell. But it's that phraseology that says, how do you use your money? And what are you using your money for? Are you building your kingdom? Are you building God's kingdom? And really, it's now going to launch into the wasteful, the prodigal manager. And so how you use your life, your resources, your gifting, your talent, managing what God has given to you really determines whether you're building his kingdom or building your own kingdom. Have you ever been guilty of building your own kingdom? Everybody raise your hand. Come on. (laughs) You see it all the time. And then you come to a point of maturity in in your Christian walk with the Lord and realize this is wrong. And Jesus is really going to be explicit about how you use your money in this. And and it's going to be weird, too, uh, because he's going to commend this guy that's actually a cheat, an embezzler. And uh, But before we get there, I want to go back to last week. And it's on your outline, but it's no fill in the blank. It is, you got to be intentional. You got to be generous and you got to be opportunistic because Jesus told us to go. And when we personalize it and say, I go, because I'm going to be intentional, I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to be opportunistic with what God has given to me. Why? Because lost matter, I mean, lost people matter to God and lost people matter to the sons of God. And so. We're going to pick it up in chapter 16, verse 1. Going to take it in three little bite-sized pieces. I'm reading it out of the ESV, and it says this. He also said to the disciples, after he finishes, boom, 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 the lost chapter, he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." 
A manager was a, or a steward, some of your versions may say steward, was a highly trusted position. Remember Joseph? He became the manager of Potiphar's house. And he could do anything in the house except for what? Sleep with his wife. And that's the one thing she wanted and that's the one thing that Joseph wouldn't do. But basically a steward has complete authority. And it's kind of like a C... Okay, you might be the owner of a company, but you need a CFO. And what is the CFO? The chief financial officer. He's going to make sure people get paid, bought, things are bought, inventory is correct. You may be the owner, but you have other people in place that actually run the day-to-day -day operations. That's what this guy was. He was the one that made sure that the servants got their food and had the resources. And... Quite frankly, a lot of times these servants were actually born into the household, and so they had a lot of history with, with the, the owner. And they were the chief of management. And, uh, but then they find out that he's wasting the guy's money. He's wasting the resources. So here's the very first fill in the blank. It's just the prodigal manager. The prodigal manager. And, and you should probably write on there the wasteful manager. And then I want you to just think about that sermon title again. The prodigal manager. Oops. That's me. Because God has trusted you with so many things. And we have been guilty. So I don't want you to see. I want you to see a little bit of yourself in the wasteful manager. Okay. I just want, I, I think God needs to pry that, oh, that, that part of your heart just open a little that you need to at least come to acknowledge that you have not been perfect with your resources. Can you say amen to that? You've squandered, you've wasted, you've blown it. Yes, yes, yes. All true, right? And that's why Jesus is telling this to his disciples. It's not out of rebuke. It's more of, guys, this is serious stuff. Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to the sons of God. And I've given you resources. So someone tells on the prodigal manager, on his mismanagement, right? You're fired, right? Turn in the books. Turn in your ledger. Clean out your desk. You're hitting the streets. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, right? But he's got a few hours, maybe a day or two, to collect all the documents and present them to the owner. So he has just this little window of opportunity. And he doesn't have the muscles, the strength, maybe the youth to go dig a ditch, right? He can't be a blue-collar worker. And at the same time, he says, I ain't going to beg. I can't do that. I'm, not, I'm just not going to beg. And he's got... A few days. What is he going to do to protect his future? I mean, that's a legitimate question. I mean, he's in a quandary. So he comes up with a plan. Let's go back to the text. Verse 5. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to them, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. 
the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, a bill that is mentioned in the text is like a contract. And the way it it worked is, is both the one that owed would sign the contract and the steward or the manager would sign the contract. Uh, somewhat like when, when you buy a car, how many of you have, don't answer this, but you've, some of you, all of us, I guess, maybe I'll just say it that way, we've had to finance a vehicle, right? And you get a title, at least in some states, it'll say there's a lien, right? You, you can't go sell that car because the bank is still holding it as collateral, right? Or you borrow money to to have a house and you don't get the deed clear until you've paid off the bank, right? Well, it's the same kind of situation here. He comes and he says, write down 50 and I'll sign off on it too, which means they were complicit, the people that were also in this. So they're dishonest as well. They're like, hey, I'm getting a big discount, 50% discount on what I owe. I owe $10,000. Sure, let's make it five, write it out. He signs it, they sign it. Now he's got proof that he's paid it down to 50. And then he does it with the, with the wheat. And so Jesus is not commending the man's dishonesty. Don't, don't go there, okay? And I don't think he would have. And he's not commending the man's wastefulness, that he, he basically was kind of not using the money the way it was supposed to be used. But Jesus is highlighting that the sons of this world are very adept at making money and getting ahead and being able to further what they want than the sons of light. Isn't that true? Because they only have this generation. And so you got to go, remember the old Michelob commercial? You, you only go around once in life. Go for the gusto. For those of you that were alive in the 60s, that was about our early 70s. That was a popular, why? Because if this is the only time you live, you're going to do everything to get to the top of the heap. And you're going to use all your resources and you're going to take advantage of where you can take advantage of. In fact, if you're a cashier and you actually give out too much, too much money and the person gets an extra 20, what are you going to do? I post that to our junior high group at, at, at uh, uh, World Changers and they all said, oh, we're going to keep the money. And I, I was shocked. And, and I said, don't you understand that that could have to come out of the cashier's pay? And then when they found that out, they said, oh, well, maybe we'll give it back. But see, people that are worldly are very opportunistic and take advantage of the situation. And that's what Jesus is commending. He's commending this man's ability to see, what am I going to do tomorrow? I got to do something right now about my future. I got to do something right now. It's kind of like, the, the way it worked out is you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I give you a discount, you're going to let me come to your house tomorrow and, and, and eat. That was the, the deal that was worked up. See, the sons of this world are experts at seizing opportunities for making more money and more friends 
and maybe even manipulating people and prepping for the future than, than the sons of light. And the prodigal manager wisely, although he, he embezzled, he was acting to prepare for tomorrow. That's the key. He's using his, ma catch this, he's using his master's resources to prepare for tomorrow. You got that? That's, that's key. So here's the second fill in the blank. He used the situation to his advantage. He used the situation to his advantage. And Jesus is commending the wasteful manage, manager for, for using his temporary money, not even his, to prepare for his tomorrow. And cleverly, he gave large discounts to his master's debtors, and now they owe him. And now he, they are actually kind of obligated to take him in when he shows up at their door. L let me say it this way, and I don't want to offend anybody because not everybody is this, but I'm just going to say a, a broad brush term, and that is most believers, I mean, most unbelievers are more street smart than Christians. You know what, are, are you getting that? Why, because they live in the streets. We live in the kingdom. We, we, we have two different paradigms. And so in order to survive, they've learned to be street smart. And we, Jesus says, are to be as shrewd as what? Serpents, but as innocent as doves. And so non-Christians are more street smart than us. They know how to rob banks, you know? They know how to, to, to know when a drug deal's going down. They know how to manipulate their boss. They know how to do all these things. And we Christians, we're just not that savvy when it comes to the world's ways. And that's a good thing. But what we've lost is we don't take advantage of the situations that we're in. And... Uh, let, let, let me move on. I don't want to beat that to the debt, but we're to use our master's money in a way that will accrue friends in eternity. If Go back to the text. It says this, I tell you, make friends for yourself, verse 9, by means of unrighteous wealth. He's talking about stuff in your pocket. So that when it fails, and it will fail, may take until you're dead, but it will fail, that they may receive you into eternal dwellings. The wasteful, the wasteful manager was smart enough to use his master's money to prepare for, or actually to buy friends in this world, right? And we're smart enough to use our master's money to buy friends that we'll find in eternity. Let me say that again. We're smart enough to use what God has given us to buy friends that will meet us in eternity. What do I mean by buy friends? I'm saying that we use money and our resources, our talents and our time and our treasure to bring the gospel to people. And when we go into the kingdom, Jesus is saying they're going to receive us. Just like the man knew that they were going to be received. Now, I'm not talking about works mentality, okay? I'm just talking about the text itself and to get this concept that when we use what God has trusted us with to further his kingdom instead of our kingdom, we are doing things that have eternal value, that, that is not temporal, and we really have our eye towards the future instead of our kingdom that we're building here right now. 
because there's going to be a time where your money, your time, and the opportunities are gone, like what we're going to read next week about Lazarus and the rich man. Just a little preview. You know, they, he dies. They both die. And the rich man had missed the opportunity to be kind to Lazarus. But that's next week. But here's the bottom line of what Jesus is saying. Lost people matter to God, so lost people matter to the sons of God, right? And so are you using what God has entrusted you with to build your kingdom or to build the master's kingdom? And then this idea of kingdom is carried over to the next part of our text. So go back to the text. We're going to pick it up at verse 10. And it says this, one who is faithful and very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest and a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what was another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So it comes down to who's your king? Money that can buy things or God who can supply things? Okay, because he's supplying the money anyways. It's in your pocket. You know, there go you by the grace of God. I love, there's a, there's a movie, it's uh, called Shenandoah, and it starts off with Jimmy Stewart sitting at this dinner table, and he says, all right, we're going to pray. God, I worked this land, I broke this land, I planted the, the seed, I, I had it watered through irrigation, I've harvested it, I processed it, and I did all the work, but we're thanking you nonetheless, amen. It's tongue-in-cheek, but we have to ask, we can be connected to money that can buy things, or we can be connected to God who supplies all things, all things. So here's the third fill-in-the-blank. Thrones only have room for one person. It's not a king and queen, it's a king. Thrones have only room for one person. And you're either going to be faithful to the king or you're going to be faithful to money. Jesus kind of just narrows out all the other stuff, right? He, he just kind of separates it off. I think partly is because the Pharisees were in the audience too. Now he's, he's going to direct next week's parable to the Pharisees. So they're there and they were in love with money. And Jesus is telling his disciples, money is a tool, baby. And if you use that tool to build your kingdom, you're going to be in trouble because you got nothing going ahead of you. But if you use that tool for what it's intended, you are going to have so much in heaven. So you're either going to be faithful to the king or you're going to be faithful to money. And the irony is that God gave you the money. That, that was the point. But so many people fall into the trap of getting rid of God because money is so powerful. And it is. It's so powerful. If you had nothing in the cupboard, I guarantee you, I promise you, 
you would be on your knees praying for next day's meal, right? But because our cupboards are full, our gas tanks are full, you know, the iras are full, all we don't feel the sense of urgency. And so therefore, money has really supplied all that. And that's what Jesus is saying. No, 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 no. We are, we are the richest people that have ever lived, folks. Seriously, we're the richest people that have ever, in all of the world. When I had a chance to go to India a, a few years ago, the average laborer made a dollar a day. That's what they got. They survive on $365 a year. And I, you can't even fathom that, right? And that's how, how rich we are. People are going to fall into the temptation of building their own kingdom. Now, Jesus says three, th three points and three counterpoints right here. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big things. And he says, if you're faithful with paper money, you'll be really faithful with real riches, right? And then he says, and if you're faithful with another person's money, then you'll be faithful with your own estate. You know, he, he just kind of lays it out. And then here's the kicker. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two kings. You can't walk two paths at the same time. And so the question is, is who is your king? Money that can buy things or God who supplies all things? So here are the takeaways. Takeaway number one is this. We as children of light need to be more shrewd and we have to be more opportunistic. We really do. We've got to be more opportunistic and we've got to use our opportunities wisely. We, we just do. Jesus, again, tells us to be wise, shrewd almost, but innocent as well. And we have to look in our, in our lives where we can be opportunistic for the gospel's sake. And it's not complicated as it sounds, and it's not as scary as it sounds to be opportunistic for the gospel. It really isn't. It's just ask yourself this question every day, how can I move the kingdom forward today? At work, at work, at work. How can I move the kingdom today in my neighborhood, how can I move the, for, uh, the kingdom forward in my relationship with the bank teller or someone else? See, shrewdness involves thinking, right? Can I, can I step on your toes just a little? And it's probably a carryover from something that, that came from our childhood or past or I, I, I don't know. And I'm stepping on my toes as well. So uh, the, the point is, is that um, we have this idea that God is going to do everything. I, I, let me explain that, that if something's going to happen, he's going to make it happen. Well, that's true, but he's asked you to partner with him. And so when you, we think, oh, that person's going to hear the gospel... Oh, we can do a rolling vacation Bible school. Well, somebody else can do that. Oh, we can go and do, somebody else can do that. Wait, God has given you, me, the church, opportunities 
to present the gospel in people's lives by being kind. Just Mrs. Grego, I know this is going to be online, so I probably shouldn't mention all of that, but here's an opportunity to love on a family, okay? There's a GoFundMe set up. Man that's in his 30s suddenly dies of a heart attack, leaving behind a family and two kids. Is there an opportunity there? Ask yourself, is there an opportunity there? Yes, there is. Is there an opportunity with Mr. Parker that I mentioned earlier? Or Jesus that I mentioned earlier? Or See, God has all these opportunities. All we have to do is say to ourselves, what God do you want me to do today to move your kingdom forward? Shrewdness means thinking, means engineering. Just like, now, does it involve risk? Yes. The manager, he risked getting caught, right? Well, and it's a parable. It's a made-up story. But there was risk involved, just like there's risk involved for you to take opportunities to do something outlandish for the gospel. And it may not be received. It might be rejected. But you did something. It reminds me of the parable of the talents. You know, there's a guy that goes and does this with this talent, and then another guy does this with his talents, and one guy didn't do anything but buried it, right? He buried it, and then Jesus in the parable says, at least you should have put it at the bank and got interest, right? Well, I was afraid. Why? Because being opportunistic means there's risk involved. But it starts there. Ask yourself the simple question, what can I do to move the kingdom forward today with every person in every situation that you encounter. That's not that hard, is it? I mean, it's simple in concept. What can I do today? And then you'll be looking for those opportunities. Have you ever saw somebody at the store that was beside themselves and you walked up to them and said, are you okay? And they may pour out their life story to you and you know, this has happened because it, it's, it's what happens. And then you say, can I pray with you? Man, I'll be walking through a, a school as a sub and somebody will come up to me and says, can you pray with me right now? Sure. Huh. Wow, what an opportunity. Oh no, I can't. Yes, I can. I don't care where I'm at, I can pray. I may be on the clock, but I can pray. And so... What can you do in any given situation to move the ball forward? That's, that's what we're talking. Do you remember Jonathan? Uh, Jonathan was chasing the Philistines, right? And he's hungry. And he runs and, and he's chasing some guy. You can see it in, in your mind's eye. And suddenly he, he finds, I don't know how, but he finds some honey in the crag of a rock or, or wherever. And he says, hmm, what's that? Mm, honey. And he takes some of the honey, and then it says his eyes brightened. He got some energy. And then, boy, did he go forward and wipe out a bunch of Philistines, right? He was opportunistic. Or what about David? David's this shepherd boy. He comes to deliver some cheese, some food to his brothers. And he sees Goliath out there. And he doesn't see anything but an opportunity. Wow. He didn't care what was going to happen. He said, how can you let this uncircumcised Philistine taunt the living God? How can you guys do this? All you, all you grown men are allowing this to happen. David saw it as an opportunity. See, we have to stop listening to the news in a sense. 
and, and be beaten down to think that there's no opportunities. Boy, we've got more opportunities than ever before because light shines greater in darkness. And so we have to be that opportunistic. We're, we're going to go forward. Number two is this. Use the temporal to impact the spiritual. Use the temporal to impact the spiritual. Be faithful to your master's money. And the, this doesn't mean that we're supposed to pool our money and be a commune or, or any of that. It means that we are to use our money wisely to build up the body, to build up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. We are to do that because we have an eye towards the future. And we know that what is temporal is impacting the spiritual. And so that, that is just huge. Use the temporal to impact the spiritual. He ties the material world to the spiritual world right here. Jesus does. That what you do in your life echoes into eternity, if I can quote Russell Crowe from Gladiator, right? What you do in this life follows through into eternity. Because some are using it to get to heaven and some of it are using it to get to hell. And so we, we just want to do that. Number, th number three is this. God is trusting you to manage well. God is trusting you to manage well. And many of you have done that. And God is so pleased with you. Your time, your treasure, your talent, you have managed well. And we all long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful, what and what? In doing the things that I've asked you to do, to manage what I gave you to further my kingdom. That is the good servant who has managed what God has given him. And again, we can't let money become a God to us so that we can buy things because we serve a God who supplies all things. But put that little nugget in the back of your head. Money can buy things, but God supplies all things. And so we have to remember God is trusting us to manage well. Do you, do you remember a guy named Walter Martin? He was a Bible answer man during this. 70s and part of the 80s before Hank Kennegraph. Does any, anybody ring a bell with that? Okay, one, my wife, okay. <laughs> Walter Barton was the Bible answer man for many years, and he, he did a great, he, he uh, wrote a book called The Kingdom of the Cults, and he exposed all the, the falsehoods of, of all the cults and, and part of the occult. But he, he said this interesting line, and it's always stuck with me, but I'm going to read it so I get word for word. He says, are we willing to do for the truth what others are willing to do for a lie? He's like, wow, that's powerful. Are we willing to do for the truth what others are willing to do for a lie? Your neighbor has money, and they're going to use it to build their own kingdom. God has given you some money, too, and he wants you to manage it well. Yes, you're supposed to take care of yourself. Yes, you're supposed to have an eye towards the future, so you're not going to be a burden on the church when you're in retirement. You, you have to do the things. It's, it's, it's not so broad-brushed that it's that way, but it's are you using 
what God has given you, time, talent, and treasure for the building up of his kingdom. He wants you to manage well. Because worldly people will do anything to get ahead. They just do. And Christians, we have this attitude that if God's willing to do it, then he'll do it. No, he wants to use you. He wants to use you. And I want that last point to just stick with you. He's gifted you. He's given you talent. He's given you money. He's given you resources. And he's given you purpose. And when you put all those together, there's no reason why we cannot, in every situation, say to ourselves, what can I do in this situation to move the ball forward to the goal line? Isn't that a simple analogy? What can I do to move the... F and it may be taking a coworker out to lunch and just investing in the relationship. Remember what Jesus said uh, in, in Matthew? He says, man, don't you remember when you gave me the cold drink of water? When did we give you a cold drink? Right here. When you do something outside of your little kingdom to build his kingdom because you did it in the name of Jesus, you're being opportunistic, you're being intentional, and you're being generous. And that's what sons of light do. So this week, God's going to present some opportunities for you to move the ball forward in someone's life. It may cost you some time. It might actually cost you some treasure. Or it might cost you some of your talent, but you're gonna go and bless somebody in the name of Jesus, and you will be not a wasteful manager, but a wise manager. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, and we do ask for forgiveness for so many things in our lives as this message has brought up where we have been preoccupied with our own little kingdom. And you have set the record straight again in your gentle way that we are to be intentional and generous and opportunistic, but also innocent, where we want to move the ball forward and build your kingdom and not ours. Thank you for bringing this to our attention again, that we can use money, it's filthy lucre, mammon, to actually do something that will save the eternal souls of people because we spent a few pennies. Father, thank you that you love us enough to teach us because we truly are your sons. Thank you for today. Give us that opportunity to move the ball forward this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. <laughs>